0: A lot of the bigger challenges, they will only be solved through partnerships, government, industry, academic partnerships, and I would say international partnerships.
1: Hello, and welcome to the THE Connect podcast. This episode is produced in partnership with the University of Liverpool. I'm your host, Ashton Wenborn. The University of Liverpool has built a reputation as a research-intensive institution that prioritises collaboration and impact. With governments and businesses around the world striving to achieve net-zero carbon emissions in the fight against climate catastrophe, cutting-edge research will be essential to the success of such efforts. I'm joined today by Professor Andy Cooper and Dr Anna Slater, who are at the forefront of the innovative research taking place at the University of Liverpool. Andy and Anna will be speaking with me about their work in advanced materials and how the University of Liverpool supports them in producing world-leading research with global impact. Thank you both for joining us. Would you like to introduce yourselves to the listeners and give us a brief overview of your role at the university and the work that you do?
0: Yeah, I'm Andy Cooper. I'm a materials chemist and I work on functional materials for applications such as energy and sustainability
2: hi my name is anna slater i'm a university research fellow um, at the university of liverpool and a senior lecturer and my work looks at developing tools to discover optimize and scale up functional materials
1: great thank you both I'd like to start today by talking a little bit about how the University of Liverpool supports researchers like yourselves to shorten research and innovation time and to change global industry with new materials.
0: Um, We have a number of mechanisms. We have some physical institutes in the university, such as the Materials Innovation Factory and the Stevenson Institute for Renewable Energy Research, which is specifically in that area. So these are physical institutions. We have uh, programs such as PROSPER, which is a university program to help early career um, postdocs, for example, not only in this area, but in other areas um, in career development. And we have some large grants with organizations such as the EPSRC, uh, the European Research Council, and also some large scale industry collaborations where we both do research with the industry, but also share physical facilities and space on campus.
1: And you mentioned the Materials Innovation Factory. Could you tell us a little bit more about the purpose of the centre, how it was established and the way that you interact with it?
0: Yeah, the Materials Innovation Factory was set up, um, it was uh, opened in 2017, and it was set up to allow both academic research and industry research. So we share a physical building and facilities in areas such as robotics and what some people call digital chemistry in a um, physical building where we have both academic research groups, industry research groups, and then a common open access floor, which enables both.
1: It's interesting to hear about the way that that physical building is allowing collaboration to happen on site, especially when I imagine a lot of your work is increasingly digital, and we've obviously seen that move into remote as well. So how do you think that those sorts of physical on-campus spaces are encouraging collaborative work?
0: Yeah, well, um, although of course it's possible to do some things virtually or remotely, such as controlling robotics or some hardware, we found that there's really no substitute for being in the same space day to day. And I think the COVID lockdown really taught us that and so how much more efficient it is to be physically in a building and meet each other randomly and, and talk over coffee and lunch. So um, I think it makes a big difference, actually, and uh, not that you can't work remotely, but if you can work in one space, I feel it's sort of maximally effective.
1: And Anna, have you had the same sort of experience with being in those real spaces?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean... um my research group we established about just over five years ago now we're a relatively new um, research group and something that I found really pivotal for for us as being part in of this building is access to techniques that we can't easily get on our own and that not only changes what we do and what we can do and enables different types of research but it also means that when we introduce new techniques we work a lot in continuous flow we can then offer that as a technique to other collaborators within the institution so we we do have partners um, all over the world but we we've uh, Grown some new directions just from people off, along the corridor who've seen what we've been doing, just talking about what we've been doing within the department, and then have come along to try it out. Uh, so yeah, it's it's been really, really beneficial, not just for for me and seeing where my risk research can go, but also for training for people within the team uh, as well to to. to be exposed to, to more opportunities than they would have done otherwise and also to work with industry um, where you know we have a number of members in the team who've who've done projects that are directly related to industrial uh, our industrial partners that they wouldn't have otherwise been able to do as part of their PhDs or their postdoctoral positions so yeah it's been it's been really excellent um, and we, we did miss it a lot as Andy says uh, when we weren't able to do it
1: mm, I'm sure when we speak about research that has that real-world impact, and especially around sustainability and, and climate crisis, the role of industry is hugely important to how able that research is to go and reach the communities who need it and who will benefit from it. How does being at the University of Liverpool help you to make those connections with industry? and And do you think that the university particularly excels in that sort of arena?
0: Well, certainly having these facilities is helpful because it forms a nucleus for programs, both having the people, the talent, and the facilities in one place. So one example could be we have EPSRC Prosperity Partnership uh, with partners Unilever and also the University of Oxford. And that's based, at least a large part of it, is based in the Materials Innovation Factory. It's led by my colleague, Matt Rosinski, And... um, so that's a that's directly attacking the problem of being more carbon neutral in the area of uh, home and personal care products in Unilever's area. But I guess the sort of longer term challenge is not only to find um carbon neutral or or more environmentally acceptable materials and chemistry, but also to develop the methods to tackle the problems. And that's a big part of what we're doing in the university. So it's 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 partly short to medium lo- term discovery of new materials and chemical processes. But there's also an element of, of finding new ways to tackle the problems using methods such as artificial intelligence, computational chemistry, and uh, robotics and automation. So we kind of look at it as different timescales, you know. Finding new materials, finding new chemistry, but also training, training the next generation of people to tackle these problems is ultimately what the university most centrally does, I would say.
2: Yeah, I think Joseph could just come in there as, as well, something that we've found really important for our collaboration development is um, an, an event that the, um, the chemistry department ran a couple of years ago, uh, just to showcase what we do within the department that was led by Alex Cowan and Tom McDonald. It was an annual event, although it didn't run during COVID in quite the same way. But yes, I think that's been a really successful mechanism to just get the word out a bit and also meet people and find common areas of interest. And we made a bunch of contacts with that just about talking about what we do, that we, people we still work with today. So I think there are these really great mechanisms to meet people uh, from industries, either locally or a little further afield. And um, there's a really vibrant industrial base in the Northwest. And I think it's, it's important for us to be able to partner with them as well.
1: That sounds like a really successful way to forge partnerships with your peers. And as you mentioned, really highlight the strength of industry in the North. So the topic of training has come up a few times as we've been talking today and I think at the top of our discussion Andy mentioned the career development that's available at Liverpool. How do you train up new researchers to make sure that they're well positioned to enter this very fast changing environment both in terms of the technology that's available but also the challenges that new researchers are tackling?
0: I think I mentioned the Prosper initiative in Liverpool. I didn't explain what that was. One of the one thing in Prosper is there there is a facility for postdocs and other early career staff to get funding to do what you might call um, sort of secondary uh, activities outside of their main research to build skills. For example, in areas that aren't covered by their research program. I mean, one thing we've tried hard to do is build labs where we have multiple disciplines and you just get to learn new things and things you wouldn't learn in a more focused space. So,
1: And Anna, having probably gone through that postdoc career development at Liverpool, how has your experience of that reflected what Andy's spoken about?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, um, I, I did a postdoctoral position at the University of Nottingham and then one at the University of Liverpool before I started um, my independent career. Uh, and this was before Prosper um, existed. So it's a relatively new um, initiative and it's it's fantastic. I really think it's, it's changing uh, a lot of things for the better for postdoctoral researchers. Really, a lot of the training that I try to imbue in my group is p- partly problem solving and the ability to work with others to solve problems but asking the right questions and finding the right people uh, to assemble a, a diverse team of people because in the end you need people who have many different experiences and um, backgrounds to, to make a project work especially when you're
1: trying to do very different and new things so yeah absolutely it seems that more and more attention is being paid to the value that diverse voices bring to a project, especially when tackling vast global challenges like climate breakdown. I wonder how throughout your careers you've seen the focus of research shift to prioritize sustainability and produce impactful outcomes as soon as possible.
0: Certainly throughout my career, obviously these issues have become more and more pressing, but um it is a huge motivation for us and well for me personally one of the challenges i see is you know um if you look at the world the amount of research funding available has grown in a shallow way you know compared to gdp but our problems haven't population growth resource use energy use co2 levels are not changing in a shallow continuous way they're changing in some cases in an exponential way so I came to the conclusion that we really have to focus on new ways to approach science. You know, you've got to do more. You've got to do a lot more with ultimately the same amount of money. So that's one of our big motivations, or my motivation, of robotics, computational chemistry, is because some. I mean, it's hard to put in very non-technical terms, but the gap between where we are technologically and where we need to be for some of these problems. I'll give one example, direct air capture, which is a concept of pulling CO2 from the atmosphere directly. There are a number of research groups and spin-out companies working on that area. But I would say the gap between where we are and where we need to be to do that on, on a planetary scale is enormous. So it's hard to stress the chat the challenges for some of these problems. We are miles away from a solution. So. There is a degree of urgency, and to people who say there is not a degree of urgency, I would say, well, let's not wait until it really is so urgent that the planet's on fire, because, you know, the best time to start to address these problems is about 100 years ago. Yeah,
2: It's interesting that... um... A lot of the industrial collaborations we have are companies that would like to improve their sustainability credentials as well. Actually, so uh, we, we work with a with a company um, where they are looking to change one of their processes, and one of their big drivers for that is to make it less energy intensive, to make it more environmentally friendly. So, uh, you know, that's a really exciting challenge, actually, where you know you are the methods that we're using might genuinely be able to improve. On a large scale the amount of energy that is used by a large company so that you know i'm i'm those sorts of problems were never ones i thought i would be in a position to tackle and it's, it's exciting to be there and I, I also see a lot more demand from undergraduates and phd students to work in this area people really care about this and they, you know, they should it's extremely important as andy has said so I, I think there's a lot of motivation to carry out research in a more sustainable way to build in sustainability or energy usage as a as a factor when you optimise your process you're not just looking necessarily for the absolutely highest yield you're also looking for how can I do this in in a most environmentally friendly or sustainable way
1: if we can do that more that would be a big step forward it's really positive to hear that there's an interest in making change both in your own practices but also that you're working with industry partners that want to make those sorts of sustainable changes one of the challenges as researchers must be getting your research out of the lab and into the communities that will benefit from it. Partnerships with industry are one pathway into the world, but how else can you ensure your work has impact?
0: Yeah, um, I mean, there are certainly possibilities. Research can be suitable for spin out or startup. Um, we actually have a startup called Giru, which is looking to commercialize mobile ai enabled robots for industry research for example but it depends on the area because if you if you're looking at climate change you know it's reasonably hard to impact co2 emissions from power plants as a startup so there i would say one of the big bottlenecks is understanding what the problem is really in detail that's why having these close industry partnerships is important because What works in a lab may be absolutely unfeasible in a power plant that could produce as much as 20 million tons of CO2 per year, you know, so your cherished lab solution may not be deployable. The answer there I've learned from from hard experience is to talk to industry before you do the research and understand really what the real parameters are you know that's why these partnerships we have in the serials innovation factory companies such as unilever are powerful is you you get an insight into the challenges from the industry perspective you know um that isn't to say you can't challenge the industry perspective but you know you need to have a dialogue about it otherwise you you you're you're working without really knowing what the target is you're shooting at um so i think really a lot of the bigger challenges, they will only be solved through partnerships, government, government, industry, academic partnerships, and I would say international partnerships in the long run.
2: The, the only other thing that came to mind when talking about getting research out into the communities, the outreach that is done um, through the university uh, and through uh, in many different departments, um, it's not been as possible to do it recently, uh, over recent years as it was before, but um, through the Royal Society, the fellowship that uh, that I'm on, we've had some excellent opportunities, for example, to go and do an event at the Science Museum. And um, so Becky Greenaway, actually, he used to be in and Andy's team is now at Imperial. She led one of their summer science exhibitions on, on the cage technology that Andy's group were on. Um, so yeah, we, we really enjoy and love doing that and I think that's very rewarding. I'm going to go into my kids' primary school um, very shortly to talk about being a scientist. Uh, so I think there are lots of ways to do that. that the, and the university has some fantastic
1: outreach practitioners uh, through through the faculties. It's lovely to hear that your outreach covers everyone from your local primary school to these far-reaching multinational businesses. Could you tell us a little bit more about the global nature of your partnerships with industry and other higher education institutions and how international Liverpool's approach to collaboration is?
0: It, it slowed down a little in the last two years for obvious reasons, but we're, we're getting back to it. I guess some of the companies that we're collaborating with, they are inherently global. Unilever is a global company and has you know, bases all over the world. So that gives you some kind of global reach. And and some of the problems they have to deal with, they are very country specific, actually. Uh, not, you know, the problems vary from geography to geography. But I'll give an example of something we had recently uh, through our Leverhulme Centre. We h- held a symposium um, in Anfield in the football stadium in Liverpool. And we had participants from all over the world, mainly academic, but some industrialists and that was great and we've started new collaborations we have a collaboration with the university of chicago that came out of this so yeah i mean the meeting thing slowed down a lot in the last two years but we we have some funding for for meetings and we're picking that back up and um yeah it's again it's a little bit like diversity you get you you just get better ideas if you talk more broadly
2: there have been some um Almost advantages to things being more online. So, for example, I organised a, a conference uh, again in my field, macrocyclic and super-molecular chemistry, at the end of 2021, um, and that was had to be online. It was supposed to be in Liverpool, but it had to be online. But in the end, we had 500 participants representing more than 100 countries, and just people who would not have been able to attend had that not been uh, online. And actually, the the addition of the conference that happened um, last month, uh, which was in person at Nottingham, was hybrid. Uh, so, I think have, retaining those possibilities. Of, of collaborating and people attending conferences remotely is, is actually something we should really hold on to for accessibility reasons as well, right? I wouldn't say that the pandemic was positive, but still, I do, I do think that there have been some opportunities for international collaboration as well uh, that have come out of it.
1: It's great to hear that some of the lessons of the pandemic have been useful and that there are some things you might take forward to bring in those international voices from people who, exactly as you said, might not have had the opportunity to engage otherwise. Andy said earlier in our conversation that the time to start tackling the current challenges we face was 100 years ago, we obviously can't do this now, so my final question for you is if the time to invest, research and build partnerships to boost materials innovation is now, what are the top actions that researchers and universities can take to be in the best position to achieve sustainability goals?
2: Yeah, well, that is quite a big question, because I think uh, that it's it's not a problem that's solved with a few simple things, right? It's It's got to take a lot of different approaches. I think transparency and communication and be, a willingness to work together and not pooling all our resources in a few pots. I, I think having um, more transparent funding streams, having more equitable approaches and actually better working conditions and a better experience for PhD students and postdoctoral researchers just all the way up all the, the basics you know getting uh, our house in order a little bit making sure that people have the opportunities to do what they need to do people are well funded people are not worried about precarity uh, and then I think it comes down to policy actually I think uh, government policies um, are are a huge lever for change for net zero.
0: No I, I, I agree with everything that Anna Says, I mean, I think the first thing is to acknowledge the scale of the problem and the duration of the solution. Right. These are these problems have taken a few hundred years to make. They're not going to be solved in five years. Right. So we need to think of it in terms of generations, I would say. And the solution isn't going to come from one or two big institutes. It's a global problem and it needs a global, truly global kind of effort. And diversity in the sense of scientific diversity—I think Anna's exactly right. These things are too important to put all of your eggs in one basket. You know, to put all of, all money in fusion power or CO2 capture, or indeed in anything. We need policy which is 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 robust and can place a number of big bets because these things are bets because it's science. But I think what Anna says ultimately, all of it falls apart if you don't have the generation of scientists who can you know, step up and address the challenge. So that ultimately is the most central thing in the end.
1: Thank you. Those are both very concise answers to what I know is a huge question. And they also bring us to the end of our discussion today. It's been great to speak with you both about the work you're doing and the impact that it aims to have. So thank you for taking the time to share your insights. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. For more insights from this conversation, you can visit the Times Higher Education and University of Liverpool hub at timeshighereducation.com forward slash University of Liverpool. Subscribe to the THE Connect podcast to receive the latest episodes as soon as they're released.